Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acri. Our guest today is Dan McGall. He runs a marketing agency, consultancy, yes. man. And we really get into yeah. some Well, you some can tell he's been doing marketing with for a marketing while. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. been at it for a while. Um, you'll hear all about it on the show. But he's also, just so you guys know, he's like the ambassador for the United States. The United States Ambassador of Entrepreneurship. Think about that for a second. Oh, cool That's that? Yeah, so it's an awesome interview. Get your pencils and pens out with your notepads because a lot of this stuff is really, really gold when it comes to marketing. Yeah. But it gets pretty intense, especially when we get to content marketing and link back. So I can't wait to hear or for you guys to hear this. Love it. Before we bring Dan on, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid on Apple's pod, Apple's podcast. Yes, the podcast. I combine <laughs> Apple Podcasts and Spotify into one brand new podcast <laughs> platform man. called Spodcast. So make sure that you're subscribed if you're not already. And while you're there, drop us a review to let us know how we're doing. And we'll read it here on the show. Now let's get into this week's interview. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Our guest today is Dan McGall. He is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, and the CEO of McGall.io, an analytics and marketing technology consultancy. In addition to that, Dan is also a 500 Startups mentor and has previously started the first accelerator in Orlando. Having spoken at the leading marketing conferences and online events, his expertise lies in helping businesses extract and interpret the right data to grow their revenue exponentially. Dan, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to Stay Paid. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Dan, man, appreciate you coming on the show. Would love for you to open up, just kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Give us kind of the 30,000 foot view of how you got into marketing, how you got into helping entrepreneurs, the accelerator, what leads you up to where you're at today? Yeah, really good question. And, you know, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for everybody who's listening. Um, I've been in marketing for the past 20 years. So I got my start back in 1998, sending mass email since before there was even mass email. Um, so like, I've just been doing this for a long time. At, in 1998, I was also only 13, right? So I uh, started out really, really young. I uh, actually started my first business when I was 13 years old. Um, and I've always just kind of been a hustler, right? That's always just been what I wanted to do was go hustle, make some money and figure out what to do with it. So Love it. Uh, I've been around for a long time doing that stuff. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I now live in Orlando, Florida. Uh, but since then, you know, I've, I've run multiple uh, venture-backed startups. I was head of marketing at a company called Kissmetrics, the really famous in the analytics space. I was the head of growth at another company called CodeSchool.com. I helped get them acquired by a company called Pluralsight. Um, so we've definitely been around. Uh, and now I'm, I'm the CEO of Maga.io and also our sister company, UTM.io. So my days are pretty busy. I'm the CEO of two companies. So I work a lot, kind of, kind of fun, but sucks at the same time. Um, but uh, I just spend most of my time now helping people figure out their technology challenges, building tech stacks, building analytical stacks. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. I love that. Uh, do you have a family? Yeah, I'm married. I have three boys. Uh, married, three boys. I was just curious. You work all the time. You know, one of the pain points for people is how do you balance, right? Work Because I'm kind of like you, meaning like I'm obsessed. I don't even consider it work a lot of times. It's just fun. I just love it. Uh, yeah. But I just had my first little girl. And so now I'm trying to balance that. <laughs> hey, how do you actually spend time with your family, but also time with your other baby, which is your business? You have any viewpoints yeah. on that before we dive into this topic of helping startups and stuff? Well, first, congratulations on the new baby. Thanks, That's always man. really, really awesome. So uh, I want a new baby all the time, but I don't want to deal with the problems with it. 
Um, you really do have to time manage. You have to make sure that you put your family first. Um, in my life, I don't want to, my goals in life are really simple. I have two primary goals. One, I want to spend more time with my family than I do with my work. And then my second one is I want to be able to make a meaningful impact on the world. Um, so naturally everything is driven by those two things. So, um, first thing comes with the family. So I do a lot of time management, control my, my calendar pretty, pretty tightly. Um, but there is also sacrifices that I make that I don't get to make everything with my kids. And, you know, I think it's a valuable lesson that we teach our kids. Hey, listen, I can't be there for everything, right? You've mm. got to eat dinner. You've got to make sure that you get that nice new bike. Um, so daddy sometimes can't make it to everything. Um, so, uh, but you got to put your family first. I love that. That's actually great advice. I was just on a tech panel where I literally when they were asking me, you know, just different apps and stuff I use. And I was saying, Hey, believe it or not, Outlook, my calendar app is one of the things that's most important. And the reason why is because if you don't commit to your calendar and if you don't time block, like you're saying, like your day either runs you or you run your day. And so many successful people, you read about them and how they literally block almost all avenues of their life, like every avenue they schedule, whether it's date nights or even their personal stuff, right? Their their health, all that good stuff they schedule on their calendar. So awesome, awesome piece of advice. I had to ask that yeah. just because I'm curious myself. So <laughs> what was your what was your first business at 13, Dan? Yeah, really, really good question. Well, I tried to start a record label, but I had no idea at 13 that a record label is a bank, uh, which I had no idea about that. So that was a great failure, but uh, I pivoted that into, I had no idea what a pivot was back then, but uh, I turned that into an artist booking agency. So basically what we started figuring out, I, I attended a rave when I was 13. Don't ask me how that happened, but I was at a rave at 13. I fell in love with EDM and I was like, I got to figure out how to do this for a business. Um, and you know, I found out, uh, this is when the internet was getting really, really popular, AOL.com and stuff. I found out that the only way that artists get bookings is through relationships. So like mm. if you're a booking agent, you have a relationship with a club promoter or a venue. Um, and you're basically back then you're doing phone calls, maybe some emails, but the internet was just starting to spin up. So there was a lot of different ways to get artist bookings. So we found that if we were able to promote an artist online using bulletin boards and forms, right? You remember the Facebook before it was Facebook bulletin yep. boards. Yep. Um, if we promoted an artist that way, what would happen is we'd be able to get the people that live in a city to be able to then tell the promoters, we want this artist to come. Hmm. So we got really, really good at promoting these artists online. And that in turn got them bookings in those cities. Um, and that's really what we started. So we started out pretty small with only about seven artists. Um, by the time I was 18, we had over 160 different oh artists gosh. that we worked with. Um, <laughs> and we became a really popular sub booking agency. So basically we would approach larger agencies that are like old and staunchy, picking up the phone, doing their things. We'd be like, Hey, listen, we'll get your artist bookings, but we need to take 50% of the deal. So, cause an artist gets, the agent gets 15%. So we would take 7.5 and then we would help get those artists promoted, help get them bookings. All of this was done online. Uh, and that was the business. Um, uh, we got into events and things like that, but, um, it was definitely fascinating. It was not something that like just kind of happened and worked out. Um, but it, it wound up being pretty successful. That is not the answer that I expected. Yeah. I was thinking like. lemonade stand or something <laughs> now <laughs> or long, no. long term so, business. So Dan, let's jump into no. this idea of why uh, businesses fail, right? We all know the statistics in, in business in general. We work with a lot of real estate agents. 87% of real estate agents yeah. are failing within the first five years. You're actually the United States ambassador of entrepreneurship. So clearly Crazy. you're working with a lot of That's entrepreneurs. Awesome. Um, what have you seen through your experience of, of the reason why businesses are failing? 
You know, one, I mean, businesses fail because people quit. I mean, I want to make sure that we, we somebody mm. quit somewhere along the lines and allowed it to ultimately fail and stop. Mm. Um, that's usually what happens is somebody ultimately quit, right? A co-founder leaves the company or something like that. That's the biggest reason why companies fail. Everybody can always point their finger and be like, oh, we ran out of cash. We did this. No, you quit. You ran mm. out of cash because you're quitting right now. Go find more cash. Go find more revenue. Like nobody told you you have to stop. You're just out of money. Go figure out a way to make the money. Um, so usually it's because a lot of people give up on their ideas, but I think that comes from a false set of expectations. You know, being an entrepreneur sucks. Like it's not fun at the end of the day. Yes. It comes with a lot of benefits and I'm never going to be an employee again for the rest of my life because I love the benefits that I get as an entrepreneur. But at the end of the day, I'm the one holding the bag no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, that's a huge expectation that people just don't take into consideration and they're not willing to take on that amount of responsibility. And that's where a lot of people end up quitting. Obviously there's things like people have bad ideas. People, run out of funding, people go bankrupt and stuff like that. Um, like there's obviously a, a multitude of different reasons, but the number one reason why people go out of business is because they quit. Uh, and that's, that's okay. Uh, this isn't the right lifestyle for most people. Uh, the expectation to everybody thinks that it's great to be a CEO of a company that does $50 million a year. No, it's, it's really not always that great. It can mm. really suck if you're the founder. Like you get paid less, you have more work, you have more responsibility. And again, you get paid less. I mean, if you look at any of the CEOs that work at a venture back company, right, as an example, they make less than their right hand man. Uh, it happens all the time. So, I mean, there's two people in my company that make more money than I do, right? So it's just an expectation thing. You got to set your expectations correctly. And it's so interesting. It is true. It's like people underestimate like to get any successful business off the ground, the sacrifice that has to be made. And I think it was the Kobe Bryant documentary that I was watching. And he talked about just the sacrifice he made for basketball. And yeah. he talked about the sacrifice of not going to college. And he was driving around. I forget if it was the UCLA campus one, one evening. And he had, to, and this is right as he gotten into the NBA and he's driving around and he was thinking to himself, I wonder if I've, I'm missing out. Like, I've wondered if I've made the right decision. You're thinking, man, you're Kobe Bryant going <laughs> to the NBA. Why would you even have those thoughts? But think about it. Like every, every decision, like everything you get into, whether it's sports, business, right, relationship, there's going to be sacrifice in it. And I think so many people underestimate with entrepreneurship that it is giving up the weekend sometimes. It is staying late and working the 18-hour days, those type of ideas. And I would ask you, because I have my take on this, but what could you share with budding entrepreneurs and people who are in that stage? How do they find that motivation, right? It's one thing to say, don't quit. It's another to say, hey, here's what you need to do, or here's some things that I've done in my life to help me overcome those moments where I feel alone or like giving up. Yeah, no, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was just listening to a thing about this the other day. You know, it's not motivation, it's discipline. Um, entrepreneurs don't need motivation. They don't need to be told to keep working, right? Mm -hmm. That's just what we're going to do. It's the discipline of working when we don't want to um, is what makes the difference of the successful entrepreneurs and the, and the ones that are entrepreneurs. Um, so I don't know if I would say motivation is the right word because honestly, I don't get motivated to work on a Saturday. I mean, I would clear, <laughs> but I'm disciplined enough that I have an objective and I have, uh, I have responsibilities that I have to meet. Uh, I'm disciplined enough that I'm going to suck it up and do it anyway. It's like, I'm, I'm not excited. And I'll be completely clear. It's three 15 on a, on a Tuesday and I'm going to work until nine o'clock tonight. I'm not excited about this by at all. I'm not motivated to do this in any right way. 
but it's got to get done. And it's having that discipline to do whatever it takes to get the job done uh, is really what makes the difference. And that's why I say when I always get asked and I get asked a lot, like, what is the one advice you'd give to entrepreneurs? I would say just don't quit, uh, mm. shut up and don't quit. Like that's what it takes. Um, and if you talk to some really successful venture capitalists who do similar work that I do talking to entrepreneurs, the number one thing that they'll say for successful entrepreneurs is that they just didn't quit. Mm. Uh, that's the reason why Dropbox is here. I mean, that's the reason why Salesforce is here. Do you think Mark Benioff was sitting in his room? I hope somebody's going to motivate me today to go out there and take over the world for a CRM. No, he was like, I'm not giving up, I'm not quitting. I mean, Amazon almost failed how many times? Yeah. I mean, Amazon literally was writing checks that would bounce at a certain point and they got lucky that the funding came in. Right. So, um, you just have to keep trying. You've got to remember it's going to suck. Um, and also, I mean, set your expectations. I'm not trying to build SpaceX or Amazon. I'm not trying to be the largest business in the world. Um, some people are trying to accomplish that. And if that's what you're really trying to accomplish, you got to remember, you're going to be a slave to your job. Mm. So the idea of of giving up probably, um, let's say business isn't coming in, right? Business isn't coming in. People aren't buying your product. People aren't using your services because you're not getting the leads, right? The leads kind of reflect yeah. your marketing or... or what you're doing uh, to generate that. You've been in marketing for how, decades now, right? Ever. At this point, Let's yeah, forever. <laughs> how are you uh, How are you seeing from a marketing perspective, um, you know, that early business in the beginning phases, where should they be going for leads? I mean, contact your friends and be like, hey, I mean, if you're in real estate, like the first thing, I remember my wife got into real estate uh, a long time ago. And the first thing I said was, well, ask your friends, know anybody who's moving? Right. And like, that's what you really have to do. I mean, when we started uh, Maga.io, which is our consulting practice, used to be called F and Amazing. The first thing I did was <laughs> hit up every single person I know, but like, hey, you guys working on any analytics, need any help? Um, that's the first thing you, you really got to do. I think that people forget about doing sales. They expect mm. to, don't get me wrong, I'm an introvert. People don't expect this. Like, I truly am an introvert. I don't like talking to people. I don't like going into public mm. and hanging out with people. I'm in, into one on one conversations. So, even as an introvert, right? In my last business, I went and did door-to-door -door sales, selling a SaaS software, which should have never have been door-to-door -door sales, just because I needed to collect the feedback and because it was the best way to be able to get feedback and then to see what the customer was going to say yes or no to, um, and then be able to figure out how to sell the product. Um, and I guess in that situation, I went to my friend's businesses first that were on Main Street. And I said, hey, I've got this new product. I want to sell it to you for $99 a month. Here's the reason why you should buy it. And I think people just kind of forget about true hardcore sales of tapping their buddy on the shoulder and being like, hey, you got an email list? And then I will give away one little secret. If you're on LinkedIn... And I can't do this on LinkedIn, and I've gotten in trouble for this from LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, you can export export all of your connections on LinkedIn, including their email addresses. Um, that's the fastest way to get leads right there. So um, there's a lot of different ways to be able to do that. But go talk to your friends, go harass your neighbors, start with the, the lowest common denominator near you. Now, if you're trying to generate a lot of leads, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different strategies for that. I'm happy to talk about that as well. No, I, I think it's you're hitting a nail on the head here is that um, one of the reasons, right, Josh opened up 87% of real estate agents fail, right? I think it's 90% of financial advisors. I think it's in the 90 percentile for restaurants, that type of idea. One of the things yeah. we see specifically in these service-based industries is what you're talking about is the lack of willingness to actually pick up the phone and go contact people. I, I literally scream to people, you're in a contact sport. You literally, yeah. the more contacts you make, the more opportunity that will present itself. Even if you're bad at what you say, if you literally just call people up and say, hey, 
You're looking to sell a house. You know someone who's looking to sell a house, which is probably not the best script. If you do that frequently enough, every blind squirrel finds a nut. But even what people don't understand is that when you do those hard things, talk about don't quit, right? So, so many Mm -hmm. people quit. They quit on that activity of picking up the phone and dialing, going and door knocking, doing what you did, door-to-door sales to sell a piece of software. They quit and they don't realize that if you keep at it, not only the law of averages is going to net you some positive, but you're going to refine so much of your sales positioning and your sales script as you go. It's like, stop trying to craft the perfect message. Literally get out there, grind it out and refine it as you go. And you will come across, hey, this is what's resonating with people. When I say these things, I'm seeing their eyes light up. When I'm talking to them, these are the features that they naturally go to, which then points you, and this is what I always tell people, that points you to your marketing messaging because one of the greatest things that marketing or marketers should be doing is actually talking to one, the clients, and then to the salespeople is going, hey, Mm -hmm. what is it that the clients are actually loving about the product? What is it that they're responding to for the salesperson? So you can actually portray that from a marketing standpoint. I'm curious to pick your brain on, because you have a a background, right, in marketing analytics and marketing as a whole. Can you talk a little bit about how you see email marketing today versus like social media advertising? Is email marketing in your mind, I don't don't, want to say dead, but it's so much noise. There's so many MailChimps out there. There's so many, I have 400 unread emails in my inbox right now. And I guarantee you, 40% of them are probably prospecting me to try to sell me a piece of software, sell me something. Like, What's your view on email marketing? And then let's talk a little bit about social media and where you see it heading kind of futuristic wise. Yeah. You know, I think with email is not dead, right? I still make a ton of money on email, right? So like email is definitely not dead. You just have to be a lot better than everybody else at it. And I think that's what people do is they're doing the same thing as everybody else. And that's what kind of falls down. Um, You really have to be smart with email. You've got to segment your email list. You've got to make sure that you're sending people things timely. You're also making sure that you're personalizing it to them because automation is so prolific now and everybody has access to cheap automation. There's a ton of garbage out there. So there's just a lot more garbage. Um, However, there's also a lot of people that are really smart and creative with the emails that they send, being able to make it so that one, they're super hyper-targeted at only a few select users. Um, And those are going to be the things that make you a lot of money is when you really do get smart with it. Because at the end of the day, right, like our email list is an example as a company, we have 25,000 people that we email. Um, However, when we send out an email blast, it's never to the whole list. It's only to small segments of the Mm. list. So you might not hear from us for four or five months, but it's just because we don't have a reason to talk to your persona or your segment for some reason. And if people would stop sending out, like nobody wants your friggin' newsletter. Like I hate newsletters. Like (laughs) I don't, I don't need 27 things to look at in your damn newsletter. Like send me stuff that I care about because 90% of the stuff in that email, I don't care about. So Mm. like, it's really about getting a lot smarter with email. Um, and you can still make it extremely effective, but I also think, um, people need to be leveraging email. They need to be leveraging SMS. Um, there's other channels that you need to be leveraging, even talking to your point with social media. Um, you need to be leveraging all of your channels. The consumer is now omni-channel. So it's not just email anymore. No, it's interesting. I have to tell you, this is going to be great. So Josh and I do newsletters, part of our products for a living, which is fantastic. Cause I think you're hitting are actually on it. Yeah. We actually get paid for, for, <laughs> good, for good. newsletters. Those are, the one, those are the newsletters yeah, yeah. people want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but the point you're making, I think is really, really solid, right? Because we're in the, like we send millions and millions of emails for our clients. Right. And we have, um, you know, customizable print stuff going out for them and stuff like that. And what we find is 
and and I teach on this, the more personal you can make something, like there's two things that will get you impact. One is quality and one is personalization because the more relevant a message can be, obviously the more you pay attention. And you said a key fact. I hate newsletters because there's 27 things in there that I don't care about. Maybe there's one thing I do care about. I actually think where the future is going probably for email, it's going to tie in big data like everything's tying in, probably tie in some type of AI self-learning that literally everybody right now gets the same newsletter, everybody on your list. Soon it will be, hey, this newsletter they're getting, but it's customized with the content within it that's relevant to that person in the database based upon how you have them tagged in your CRM, right? So if you can tag it and then ultimately what, you know, this is the stuff that we're working on is, hey, how do you make it self-learn? So if I send a newsletter to you and you don't pay attention to three of the articles in there, but you're always clicking on maybe a category that we type send you, we then replace and go, okay, Dan's more interested in this type of, you know, content. So fill his newsletter with X. Like that's where I see it headed. Do you see it headed similar or What's your thoughts on that? It's, it's, I mean, it's already, depending on the technologies you have access to, it's definitely already there, right? So um, what you're talking about, like the newsletter, I, I definitely laugh at that a little bit. So uh, when I was the head of growth at a company called Code School, and we're talking nine years ago now, right? We would send out a newsletter every single month, but that newsletter would have up to 150 different variations depending upon who you were, who you were tagged in. In emails and even in MailChimp, which is super cheap and dirty, you can write if statements. So if user is this type, show this content. If not, don't show them that exactly. content. Yep. Um, and that if logic uh, is how we built our newsletters at Code School. Because when you're a developer, like we train people at Code School, if you like Ruby on Rails, you probably don't need as much JavaScript language knowledge. So we would dynamically change the email based upon your interests. So that way you got a newsletter you cared about. So like that's uh, definitely something I highly recommend for companies to do. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's definitely not rocket science. And then now when I talk about like a lot of that is even possible, um, companies like BlueShift, which don't get me wrong, it's an enterprise product. Um, it will automatically figure out everything that's supposed to go in that email uh, and send it out for you, uh, which is super, super powerful. And then another one, which will be really accessible to your listeners, of course, is a company called Autopilot. Um, they just rolled out the, I think it's GP3 or whatever, uh, or, uh, Elon Musk's artificial intelligence. That's actually baked into their product. It will write the subject line for you, write the email for you, that's programmatically awesome. put in the right products for them. So if you launch three blog posts on your site, it will send you an email as the, as the business owner saying, hey, you've launched three blog posts. We've created a newsletter for you. So that way you can just click a button and send it out. Um, so the technology is definitely getting there. Uh, I highly recommend anybody to check out Autopilot. Um, their product does a lot of superpowers there. And going back to your point, if you're interested in something, their artificial intelligence engine, what they're working on will automatically choose the products on your website that somebody has visited or viewed, and then send them an email about those things. So the technology is definitely getting there. Um, you know, it, I think I think as humans, we take a little longer to catch up to things. Uh, so the humans will get there, but the technology is already there for sure. Especially in some industries. Some of some industries take a really, really long time to adapt to. to yeah. Tech. Uh, that we've seen. Um, lawyers. So, yeah, lawyers. Pick on them, but so <laughs> slow for evolution. So anyway. I think maybe a lot of that's driven by regulation. It's just hard to tell. I know in the financial services arena, a lot's driven by compliance. So yep. I don't know if you're keeping up with like what's happening in the world with, from a privacy standpoint and what Apple's doing with cookies. I'm sure you're, Absolutely. you're you know, keeping up with Apple. that. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Every marketer on the planet, it's like, yep. 
I agree with you. But can you talk a little bit about like, um, I, I don't know, like if you are more of a social media ads, like Facebook ads person, if you're more pay-per-click, um, can you talk a little bit about social advertising and and paid advertising and where you would recommend and what things you would give to entrepreneurs? Should they be spending money on that? Should they not? Do you feel like you're constantly chasing after new leads? Does it feel like you're on a hamster wheel, running forward but not getting anywhere? That's not the life you imagined when you got into this business. Listen in as Luke Acre and I prove the extraordinary power of referrals and the money you can make using referral-based marketing. Our free webinar shows you how to stay top of mind, nurture clients, and automate your marketing so you can get off the hamster wheel for good. Go to ReminderMedia.com slash hamster wheel. Yes, that's the real URL. We named it that so you'd remember. Go there to find out the secrets that the top producers are using to live the life of freedom you know you deserve. That's ReminderMedia.com slash hamster wheel. Take action on this today. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, one, I'm not an ads guy. I'll always be clear with that. I typically hire agencies to do our ad stuff. Um, You know, that being said, the advertising power that you have on Facebook and Instagram is just unbelievably crazy. Like your targeting is ridiculous. Um, yes, it's getting pricier and pricier, um, but highly recommend if you do have the product or service, and then you have a team that can actually manage your social spend, you know, definitely do it because Facebook knows everything about everybody. Um, and if you expand to Instagram, I mean, you're basically everywhere as well. So, uh, really, really recommend doing social media. And there's a lot of artificial intelligence, which is coming out right now. Like, can, I think it's called, uh, can't remember the name. There's another AI company that will write your ads for you. Right. Um, There's one called Jarvis. There's a Jarvis. Jarvis. It's kind of crazy. I had them do it. You basically take like a list of bullet points on your product, right? And you run it through their software and it'll pull out the headlines and the hook points. And Interesting. It, was, it was scarily Crazy. good. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what it did? You, um, uh, you plugged in, I plugged in a handful of testimonials. I took testimonials yeah. from our site. And it went through and it grabbed the bu- the best bullet points for an ad's headline based on those testimonials. I love it, man. Which is insane. Love, it's uh, it's creepy. It's awesome, but it's kind of creepy so, where it's headed. It's totally creepy. <laughs> totally, it's totally creepy. creepy. <laughs> awesome, but creepy. Uh, we love it. So with Google ads, I mean, Google has great data as well. So I definitely recommend if you can figure out the PPC game and you have the right funnel for that, you just have to really understand the difference between the two channels. Mm. Google is intent. Facebook is not. I don't go to Facebook and be like, I need a toaster, right? Like I go to Google, I go to Amazon if I need a toaster now, but uh, Google is more intent. So you have to remember that these two channels work together. So you should probably be running both. And then you have to make sure that you stack them correctly because you're going to get awareness and discovery on Facebook and Instagram, but you're going to get intent on Google. So you have to make sure that whenever you do this, you tie those two channels together to make sure that you have the best possible outcome. But I'm not going to lie. In the seven years that we've been in business at Audio, we've probably spent $5,000 on advertising. Wow. Um, total, all of our budget goes into content marketing, uh, content marketing, more content marketing. So content marketing by far is my favorite channel. I mean, don't get me wrong. I come from Kiss Metrics as well. So being uh, the protege of Neil Patel, um, naturally, um, <laughs> content marketing is always going to be my thing. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that is. Uh, can you talk a little bit about one of the hard things about content marketing? One is knowing what type of content to put out. Two is how do you make sure that you're having success with your content marketing? Like, how do you measure it, right? That's one thing. Like, we put out a ton of blogs. We put out this podcast. We're putting out content marketing all the time to build authority, credibility, you know, awareness, all this type of stuff. But can you talk to us a little bit of, like, what's your thought process on content creation? 
also how you actually measure whether or not your content marketing is working or not? Yeah, for sure. You know, and if anybody wants to be super lazy and read like our thing on this, if you were to Google um, how to create a B2B lead generating content marketing strategy, I know that was a mouthful, <laughs> and just add my last name, Magad, to it. I have a blog post on our site which talks about our down and dirty way to figure out what we can rank for. Um, and honestly, we are not any experts in SEO here. Don't get me wrong, I work with an SEO agency that helps us slimmer stuff. But we straight up just go to Google and we type in words in incognito window uh, to figure out what things people are searching for because. <laughs> If you type in um, real estate in Orlando, right? Obviously, everything at the top there is going to be somebody paid for, somebody has really, really good content marketing. But if you scroll down to the bottom, it's going to say suggested things that you might also search. That's going to tell you what are the uh, semantic keywords that you need to rank for. Um, and then if you take that information, go over to Google's keyword planner. They'll even tell you how many people are searching for it. If you use Google Trends, you can also see how many people are the search volume for all these different keywords. Um, and there's some really down and dirty ways to figure out like, hey, what are people searching for? What are the things I can look for? Um, and if you want to rank, which is the hardest part, right? You've got to find content that people are going to search for. Um, there's a really good book out there called... Uh, uh, I think it's called choose, uh, or, uh, choice. I can't remember. I'll have to follow up with you guys in regards to that, but it talks about the strategy of using Google trends to know whether you are actually going to write a topic that you have too much competition for or not enough competition mm. for. Um, but really if you just use Google and you type in a bunch of stuff, you look at their suggested semantics, look at the keyword planner, you'll be able to find what are people actually searching for. Now, the problem is, is you have to rank for people to find you. So even though you wrote how to change your tire, um, well, there's 300 people that wrote it better than you, right? So uh, what you need to then do is you need to go look at the top 10 Google search postings that came up. So if you type in how to change a tire, you need to look at the top 10 things that came in. You then need to take those articles and figure out a way to find out what each one of those articles is missing add that to your article. And then how do you make it so the quality of your article is just better than every single one of those other top 10? Hmm. If you do that, your content is going to start to rank. And then the next problem is you've got to get link backs. Um, that's another topic for another time. There's plenty of ways to hack your link backs. Um, but that being said, as long as you're writing the higher quality content for something that your customers are going to search for, um, you're going to be able to get found. Um, but you just have, it's something that you have to work at. Not every blog post is going to be a, a home run hit. Um, so it's, it's definitely consistency and discipline, which is going to make you the winner. How are you getting, uh, what are some strategies for link back? So I know that like Google will frown upon massive, like link back exchange. Do you do it like at a one-to-one -one level where you're working with other blogs <laughs> or what are some of the strategies that you've yeah. seen that actually work that Google doesn't slap you for? <laughs> well, Google, Google tries to slap you for a lot of things. As long as you're not being a Google's pretty good. Um, so one link back partnership. So definitely if you have other people that you, uh, want to, that you do business with, you can share link back with them. That's always going to be a really, really good one. Uh, I actually used to be involved with one of the local chambers here. And that was one of the things that we helped a lot of those small businesses do was how do you guys work together on this, right? Like you all are in the same region. How do you guys link to each other? So that way you can all get link backs. Cause that's what that's really, great. really important. Yeah. Um, there's also some hacky ways to do it. So Wikipedia, right? If you want to go to Wikipedia, you can edit a post on Wikipedia and it will get posted. So how do you change your tire? You could link to your blog post from the tire Wikipedia thing. So there hmm. are really, really hacky ways to be able to get that. Uh, Reddit is another great place of link backs where you can, of course, ask a question and link back to your website. 
Quora as well as another great place where you can go and actually answer people's questions and leave a link back to your site. And that's SEO valuable content. You can leave comments on other people's site. As long as you do it authentically, don't be malicious with it and your, your comments will stay. But there's a lot of ways to kind of hack that, um, to, to kind of get that going. Mm. And then the last one, which is the super tried and dirty way to do this is 404 detection. So if you go to somebody's website, so let's just say neilpatel.com, right? Cause Neil's a buddy of mine. If I go to Neil Patel's site and I take neilpatel.com and there's these services out there. You can just look for them, like how to find dead pages, how to find 404 pages. Um, and I put in Neil Patel's domain. It will show me every single link on their website that leads to a 404 page. Hmm. So that means that there's a link on Neil Patel's site that links to a third party, which it's doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And that's that, that link doesn't work. So what I would do, and this is what we've done for multiple products. I then email Neil and be like, Hey man, You've got this link on your site that doesn't work anymore, but I've got a great blog post for you to link it to. So, you know, you should probably fix it because it goes to a 404. But when you fix it, just link back to our site. You'll be totally Brilliant. cool. The blog person is like, hey, fix my site. You just site. solved the look problem this. for me. A 404. <laughs> and then, of course, next thing you know, you get a bunch of link backs. Yeah, that's um, so, so good. that's another hack. You, there's a lot of different things like that. That's so, awesome. Uh, well, talk about all my tricks. And I, I <laughs> so you mentioned this because I, People probably listen to this and man, this sounds overwhelming. You talked a little bit about this marketing stack, this MarTech stack, marketing technology. You actually wrote a book on it. Um, talk a little bit about your book and then where should people start to like, what is a mar- marketing technology stack and where should people start when thinking about implementing it? And is it, I guess maybe the last question here is, is it relevant to the solo entrepreneur? Mm. Yeah, great question. So in our definition, right, and I work in MarTech all the time, marketing technology tool is anything that's holding customer data that can be reused for marketing. So you'd said Outlook earlier. To me, that's a marketing technology tool. It has all of your email addresses. It has everything that we need to know about a customer in there. So Outlook would be considered a marketing technology tool in my perspective, because I use it for marketing or to acquire customers. Same thing goes with a spreadsheet, right? If I have a spreadsheet that control has all this data about my customers, well, that spreadsheet is considered marketing technology. That spreadsheet can be integrated in with multiple different tools and be able to leverage in a lot of different ways. So anything that has customer data that would then be later used for marketing, in my opinion, is a marketing tool. Um, So I definitely wrote a book called Build Cool, uh, which is super, super easy to read. Um, uh, But it talks about, you know, one, there's too many tools out there in the marketplace. There's just, uh, it's overwhelming. Even for myself, this is my job. Um, 9,000 tools is a lot of process. So um, we talk about the bare bones kind of stack that you want to get built. And what are the methodologies that you need to use when you think about building your stack? The first thing you have to think about, what am I trying to accomplish? Many companies just buy a tool or start using a tool because of the hype. They never realize that I have a business strategy and I need to choose tools based upon that strategy. So that's the first thing that we always try to get people to understand. Like you don't need all these tools. Does it help you accomplish your mission and your objectives? Then do it. But everybody should have a marketing automation tool, right? So where are you storing your customer's data? And then how are you emailing them, text messaging, anything like that? How do you automate as much as you possibly can? So that could be MailChimp to ActiveCampaign to Marketo. So, but you need a marketing automation tool because that's going to save you time and money. If you're a company that actually does hardcore sales, you probably want to have a CRM. So Salesforce, HubSpot, Sugar, there's a bunch of them out there, but you need a CRM. Um, naturally, you need a website, right? People forget that your website is marketing technology, but mm. you need a website. So you got to get that going. And then you have to have analytics, right? Google Analytics is, of course, really, really helpful. But for most small businesses, it's extremely hard to understand. Um, so Google Analytics is good, should be installed on your site, but we recommend for a smaller business, you 
you should probably get a product like Hotjar. Um, Hotjar.com, really, really easy for a smaller business to understand. Comes with heat mapping, session recordings, uh, and also comes with built-in analytics where you can build a funnel. So um, those products are going to make it a little bit easier, but you really do need to have a marketing automation tool and an analytics tool uh, set up to really help you run that. And you know, before I forget, um, for your listeners, what I'd love to do is give everybody a free copy of my book, um, be able to give you an opportunity to do that. You'll That's be able to awesome. experience tech as long doing this. If you pull out your cell phone and then you go to your text messages, what I'm going to have you do is text a word to this number uh, and you'll be able to get a text bot that will collect your address and get you shipped out that book. So Sweet. the phone number is 415-915-9011. Number again is 415-915-9011. Just text the word MarTech. So M-A-R-T-E-C-H. And then once you send that message, you'll get a text message back from our, our texting bot, which will ask you your name, ask you your address, all this stuff, and be able to get you set up with a free copy of that book. Yeah. And this is why you need marketing automation, because one of the things that you had said earlier was like, how do we track the effectiveness of our podcast? Yeah. Every podcast I'm in, I give that phone number away and I can see immediately when that podcast is launched, how many people text into That's that awesome. number and give me their email addresses. And I can tell you whether your podcast was more successful than another podcast, uh, because I have all the data that tells me when uh, it all worked or not. That's fantastic, man. That's awesome. Well, you heard it, audience. Text more text. I'm going to get a free copy. I'm going to get a free copy of that yeah. book too. Uh, that's awesome. Well, maybe Thanks, I'll guy. maybe I'll use your maybe <laughs> I'll use your book. Now that's that's fantastic. One of the things that I will encourage people is that look, in order to be successful, you have to track what you're doing, and so yeah. few people actually track the results. And and I always tell people, look, it's act, track, pivot, right? Take action, track your results, and then pivot because nothing's going to work 100 percent of the time always, right? You're going to have to evolve and change with time. And so act, track, and pivot. I want to ask you, right? Because we ask all successful people that come on the show, like. Do you have any routines or things that you've implemented in your life that have driven success for you that you look back on and you go, man, I'm so glad I do that self-development or I've done that routine because it really has produced results for me? Yeah, you know, this, I'm uh, very inconsistent with my discipline, but I always stay extremely physically active. Um, sleep is a huge priority for me. So I actually will work out less to make sure that I can maximize my sleep because mm. I think sleep is one of the most important things that we have. Um, my time management. So everything like you had mentioned before, I schedule everything on my calendar. So um, every minute of my day is scheduled, uh, including my tasks are on my calendar and things like that. So time management is really, really important there. And then drinking a lot of water. Uh, that is one of the biggest things that people miss, but drinking a lot of water has really helped me kind of make sure that I stay healthy. Um, I don't get sick. I haven't been sick in like eight years Wow! Um, because I drink an abundance of water. Um, so it's just really, really important to take care of yourself. But sleep is one of the most important parts. Is the uh, water allowed to have coffee grounds? <laughs> Mixed with yeah, it, or is it just actually, that's sure. funny. I gave up coffee on Sunday. Uh, I gave up caffeine for the second time recently. I stopped drinking uh, anything that had a lot of caffeine in it about a month and a half ago. Wow! Um, but I was still drinking decaf coffee, and a cup of decaf coffee still has like twenty to thirty milligrams of ca caffeine in Does it. Does it really? Uh, and and I decided mm -hmm. to get rid of it. And the interesting thing that really surprised me when I gave up coffee was how uh, more or how less dehydrated I was. So I know the listeners can't see this, but I have a gallon jug that I take everywhere with me. I drink one and a half to two of these a day. Wow. Um, I pour it into a cup. Don't get me wrong. I'm not always chugging like a meathead, but either way, um, <laughs> I drink that gallon of water every single day. But what was funny is that when I gave up coffee on Sunday, my intake cut down by probably about 60%. I had no idea how dehydrated coffee actually makes you. That's crazy. Um, so uh, my Super insight, interesting. I, didn't, I just didn't need to consume as much, which was crazy. But um, coffee's not bad for you, but it's not good for you. Well, 
I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Josh, Josh has got some problems. Dude, he's a coffee addict, man. 17 Dan, last, cups a day. Last question for you. What would you go back and tell your younger self, knowing everything that you know now, what would you go back and tell that 13-year-old kid before you start your first business? Shut the f*** up. That would be 100% what I would say. Stop talking, start listening. Uh, do more listening. That would be the biggest thing that I would tell myself is listen more, be more patient, because uh, that's what I needed. Dude, love it. All right. Well, before we close out here out there with the bad words, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, they're they're not going to hear it anyway. Don't worry about it. They can use their imagination. Let people know how they can connect with you before we close out. Yeah. If you just go to LinkedIn, look for the name Daniel Maga. I'll be on there. You'll see my pretty face. Uh, But Daniel Maga on LinkedIn is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Love that. Awesome, Dan. Thanks so much for coming on. And thank you all for so, uh, so much for listening. To get the links that Dan mentioned, we'll include that phone number as well as uh, that blog post that he was talking about. You can go to staypaidpodcast.com for our blog post and show notes for this episode. While there, you can also get the videos for all of our episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to show your support, the first way is to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review along with a comment in your uh, rating. And the best way to help out the show is to tell a friend about this episode. If you want to get a hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acri. I got two action items for you off of this episode. So it's a great uh, episode with so many tangible things that you can implement. One is go to Google and based upon your industry, right? If you're in real estate, type into Google, like real estate in your area and do exactly what Dan is saying. Go down to the bottom of Google, see what other things people are searching for. And then ask yourself, hey, do you have content around those search terms? Maybe go use some of the other Google tools that he talked about. So that's one action item that you can do really easily tonight that will help you in the type of content and what you're trying to produce. Second thing that I want you to do that I thought was super creative when it came to the link backs is all of you in the industries you're in normally have vendors and partners that you work with, right? So if you're in financial advising, it might be an estate planning attorney, an accountant or something like that. He mentioned the Chamber of Commerce and getting all of them to work together to feature each other's link backs of their content, right, on each other's sites and their different blogs and stuff like that. Think of your vendors that you work with all the time, your partners. Are you guys cross-promoting that way? Are you featuring each other's content on your site? What an easy thing to do to help you rank in Google. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single industry is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 